Supersonic Pod Comics presents House of Heroes by Ben Avery. Prologue. Two of four. The Alien Woman. Lakedon, Michigan, two weeks before the destruction of Injuru. Jane loved being a superhero. Okay, technically she was acting more as bounty hunter than as superhero, but by her math, bad guy with superpowers, plus stopping said bad guy from doing bad things, plus putting on her superhero outfit, equaled being a superhero. Getting paid after catching him was just a bonus. And good business. It kept the lights on, put food on the table, and allowed her to buy quantum capacitors for her work in the lab. The other big bonus? Her superhero costume fit her really, really well. It hid everything about her identity, but it hid everything in a way that was far more comfortable than her other secret identity. She could move and move freely, and not pretend to be someone or something she wasn't. Okay, so she was still being someone she wasn't. Moxie, she called herself. She never told anyone that was the superhero name she gave herself. Well, she told Hercules, and he laughed at her. Then again, whenever he put on a cape and mask, his superhero name was Hercules Man, which was either incredibly ironic or kind of moronic. But after Herc laughed at her, she decided never to tell anyone her superhero name. Not even Michael. Not that Michael could laugh. But she liked the name. Way back in the beginning, just after the escape, the first person who helped her told her she had Moxie. It had been a special word ever since, even if Herc laughed. The costume, the name, the freedom to lash out with her powers, she loved it all. Except the violence, she reminded herself as a car, an older model Oldsmobile, tumbled through the air in her direction. She held out her hands and let two bolts of electricity strike the car, knocking it off course and into the display window of a Main Street clothing boutique. Ray, she said into her calm, make note to find out if Generation Why Not lightly use clothes and more has good insurance. If they didn't, Jane was going to press into Griffin and make sure he helped pay for the repairs. Jane stood in the center of Main Street. The tornado sirens were blaring, and Ray was operating a weather manipulator that Jane had created for just such an occasion. It created the perfect smokescreen to hide activities like this. Her cape flapped in the artificially created wind. She wore red and blue, not to be patriotic, but because she liked it. Blue cape, red skin-tight suit, appropriately padded, of course, for dual reasons, as protection, and to pad out her proportions to look a little more... normal to outside observers. A few dozen yards away, standing opposite her like a gunman in a quick-draw contest, stood Brainbender. Dressed all in white, with a mask that made his face completely featureless, his head was huge and bulbous. He had come up in briefings before. He claimed to have an enormous brain, like some sort of future human. She couldn't help wondering, though, was he an alien? Or was it just a helmet? His head was much bigger than hers. She, too, wore a mask that completely covered her head and hid all her features. "'Are you well, ma'am?' Ray said over the comm. "'You have had a most spectacular battle thus far, but all seems to have stopped.' "'He stopped attacking,' he replied. "'We're in some sort of standoff, I guess.' This made her nervous. "'What was he waiting for?' "'Keep an eye out. I'm pretty sure he's going solo right now, but he runs with that one gang. I can't remember the name.' The Brainbusters, ma'am, Ray said. Right. Let me know if anyone shows up. No one right now, Ray said. All humans in the area are hiding in basements. The tornado ruse is successful. Good. 
She decided not to wait for him to make his move. A blast of electricity from her hand crackled over the street, catching him in the chest. She fired a second one with her other hand, slamming him in the shoulder. It didn't faze him. Now she was a little more worried. Then he laughed. A legitimate supervillain laugh. Her worry disappeared, replaced by firm knowledge. He had been waiting for her to do that. His head started to glow, making him look like someone in a novelty lightbulb costume. Behind him, around him, asphalt and dirt and concrete rose up from the earth in chunks and clumps, and then flew through the air at her. She had somehow powered him up when she struck him with her electricity. He had just been waiting for her to charge him up. She silently spun around, dodging the rubble as it sped toward her. He laughed again as she did so. Was this guy for real? In her experience, superpowered baddies rarely actually laughed maniacally. But the cliche had to come from somewhere, right? The storm of debris stopped after a few seconds, and Jane decided to go on the offensive again. But this time, she planned to get a little closer. Her power was not creating electricity. Her power was to take existing energy, magnetic and electric, and amplify them, transfer them, and transform them. She once heard the phrase human dynamo, and the phrase didn't exactly apply to her, but it was close. She ran toward Brainbender. She couldn't see his face, but his body language seemed to show that he was surprised, possibly. He raised his hand in a fist, and in front of him a giant, hazy image of a fist appeared. He swung his fist forward, and the image swung forward, hitting her, knocking her down, hard. Ma'am? I'm okay, Ray. Thanks. She didn't get up. She was only ten feet away from him, and he wasn't going anywhere. He seemed to be examining her to see if she was knocked out or otherwise incapacitated. She allowed herself the luxury of a smile. He couldn't see it, of course. The mask hid her face. Her hand twitched. He didn't see that either. For some reason, she always needed some sort of motion from her hand to use her power. She had never taken the time to find out if her anatomy required her to move her hand. She never remembered anyone else moving their hands, but she had always done it like this. Brainbender let out a soft gasp when she reached out with a magnetic tug and pulled him down, by the head, into the road. She wore a small backpack with a powerful battery in it, just in case she needed an extra boost of power that the natural energies around her couldn't supply. She got up and went to him, calling Ray as she did. Target acquired. Wonderful, ma'am. Then she switched the comm over to phone mode and called Dr. Griffin's number. He wasn't usually her point of contact, but for this mission, he had contacted her directly. She was not surprised when his deep, sonorous voice answered. Yes, he said curtly. I made contact with the target, she said, reaching down for Brainbender's mask. And? She pulled the mask off. Human with a giant helmet was her guess. Not an actual mutated human with an enormous brain and an inflated skull. And certainly not an alien. The helmet was a source of power. There was a battle. A lot of property damage. The tornado cover story will hold, though. Very good, Dr. Griffin said. I appreciate that you share my concern for secrecy. We all have secrets, Jane said, looking down at the unconscious face framed by a giant bulbous helmet filled with circuitry. Did the helmet create his powers or enhance them? Some more than others, Griffin replied. Did you apprehend the target? There was a note of apprehension in his voice. She did not know the details, but she did know that Brainbender was at one time in Dr. Griffin's custody, more than likely in the Supermax prison on St. Matthew's Island, off the coast of Alaska. Somehow he had escaped. I... She stopped, almost choking on her words. It couldn't be. 
She looked closer at Brainbender's face, his eyebrows. She leaned down and pushed his head around in the helmet to see his ear. Negative. He... he got away. He... I'm on his trail. The shift in Griffin's voice was barely perceptible, but it still almost stopped Jane's hearts in fear. Then why are you contacting me? If not to tell me, I may collect your quarry, and you may collect your bounty. To tell you about the property damage, to make sure you know to begin financial reparations. She groaned in spite of herself. Back in the day, when Herc and Mike and Ray and Jane played poker, she always lost. And that was using her real face, expressionless as it could be. That, Griffin replied coldly, is not your job. Your job is to apprehend my specimen. I pay other people to take care of administrative details. Specimen? What was that supposed to mean? Sorry, Jane answered. I'm off to catch him. I'll be in contact again soon. Jane, do not fail. The line went dead. Was that last statement an order? It felt like a threat. Ray, Jane said, switching back to the private comm channel. Bring the wagon. Ma'am, Ray said, emotionless as ever. I could not help overhearing. Why did you tell Dr. Griffin that you did not apprehend Brainbender? Not now, Jane said. I need you to take Brainbender back to the house in the wagon while I go and... chase after Brainbender in the car. From above, a black box the size of a small car held in the air by four rotors gently landed on the sidewalk next to Jane. She opened the front of the box, then turned back to Brainbender and bound his arms and legs with zip ties. A second vehicle, also black, with the same drone-style flight technology, touched down next to the first. The second flying car actually was a small car, a two-door, four-passenger automobile that would not look completely out of place driving down the road. It looked like a modern electric car, small, compact, and streamlined for minimum power needs, but on its roof were four propellers that folded into the vehicle when its operator wanted it to be more incognito. The black box vehicle had no passenger compartment. Piloted by remote, the wagon, as they called it, tended to be used to transport prisoners. It, too, could fold its propellers in its body and attach to the car like a trailer. Painted black, both vehicles were extremely silent, and while they didn't use actual stealth technology, they almost didn't need to. Jane had designed both of the vehicles using a combination of Earth tech and alien tech. Ray stepped out of the car, a large humanoid robot that looked like it stepped right off the cover of a 1950s sci-fi pulp magazine, his mechanical legs tromping over to Jane and Brainbender. You would like me to take him back in the wagon? Yes, Jane said, dragging Brainbender's body into the box and unceremoniously pushing his limbs in and closing the door, resisting the urge to kick him as she did so. This idiot was causing her a lot of trouble. Very well. The robot walked over to the wagon as Jane passed him on her way to the car. The weather manipulator is still active, he reminded her as he attached his body to the wagon. Yes, thank you. Please deactivate it. She got in the car, plotting out where this chase was going to take her. Toward Chicago? It'd be believable that he could lose her there, possibly. And Ray, please contact the House of High Folk. Tell them to send a representative. Immediately. Yes, ma'am. Her phone chirped a notification. She glanced at it. Hercules. Tricking in. Haven't mod contact. She tapped out her reply. Please hurry. Need you back ASAP. Then she took off, leaving the battlefield behind her. Ray left in the other direction, heading home.
Brainbender was going to pay. The House of the High Folk was going to pay. Because now, Dr. Griffin certainly wasn't going to pay. The House of the House of Heroes, just outside Gary, Indiana, the next morning. Jane slipped off the superhero uniform, stretched, yawned, a physical reaction she had picked up from her time with people, not a physical need for her body. In the days before the accident, she never yawned. Then again, there were many things she never did before the accident, like use her powers to fight evil. Then again, before the accident, she did not consider her natural abilities as powers anyway. Wait, there was a hole in the shoulder, a tear, blood. She looked at her body in the mirror. Yep, there it was. A small gash in her shoulder and a light but constant stream of gray blood trickling down the gray skin of her thin, bony arm. She did not remember when she would have been wounded. Probably during Brainbender's final assault. Now that she had calmed down and taking notice, she felt a dull throb in the wound. She took a bandage from her dresser and wrapped the wound, then threw the superhero outfit into the hamper. She was Moxie, no more. She looked in the mirror. She was also not Jane. Staring back at her were the large, dark eyes of Arjun. She looked at her face, remembering the time when her sister had been jealous of the curve on the top of her bulbous head, a feature she inherited from her mother's family. Her sister's head had been more angular, like their father. Her first boyfriend, what seemed like ages ago, had said that her nostrils were her most attractive feature. How smooth they were. How perfectly shaped they were, like a raindrop in spring, perfectly flush with her face. He had been very poetic. Her gaze traveled around the reflection from the three fingers of her hand to her curved triangular torso, her two splayed toes on each foot and the extended heel toe. She took it all in, not out of vanity, but out of melancholy. These were all features to be hidden. She picked up a skin-tight gray outfit, slipped it on. The gray almost matched the ashen gray of her skin. She almost looked like she was still naked except for the belt. Time to be Jane officially. Time to hide Arjen once more. She activated the buckle on her belt. In the mirror, that attractive smooth gray figure turned pink. Brown hair appeared on a small oblong head. A nose protruded from her face and the large black eyes turned small and brown. Her smooth torso and thin arms and legs turned curvy and round. A human stared back at her. A gorgeous human, she had been told. When she had designed this holographic body, she had used photo references, intended to be an average specimen of humanity. She did not yet understand that she was looking at the highest societal standards of beauty. Every 20 years since she first created this holographic body disguise, when had that been? Early 50s? No, it had almost been the 60s. She had changed some of the superficial features and taken on a new identity. It was not always easy to get used to new hair, new eyes, and maybe a new beauty mark or birthmark but she always kept the same basic body type. She had learned to walk in that illusion of a body, learned to match the movements of her own body to make the body she wore look natural. Sure, if someone looked closely, they might notice that her pointer and middle fingers always stayed together. The same with her ring and little fingers. The holographic illusion could only cover up her body, not make physical changes, and she only had three fingers on each hand. And if someone did touch her head, they would feel her actual head, even if it looked like they had not yet touched her human head. Again, the technology could not make her head smaller, it could only make it look smaller. But there were ways around that, like programming a hat in case she needed to be in close quarters with some humans. And then there were the parts of her body that protruded from her skinny physical frame, like the nose on the front of her face, or her hips. Any touch to those parts of her body, and the other person's hand would just go right through. 
like the guy she had once gone on a date with, who was surprised and disappointed when he tried to touch her inappropriately and nothing was there. She couldn't remember his name, but she never forgot the look on his face when that happened, or the look on his face when she punched him in the jaw. Just because he didn't actually touch anything didn't mean it was okay. Fortunately, when he went to the hospital, he told everyone he had fallen and she never saw him again after that. That had happened just before she met her husband, just before she found out about the secret of great houses, just before founding her own house. She turned the dial on the belt and cycled through some outfits, settling on one that looked loose and comfortable. She couldn't feel the looseness of the fabric since it was simply an adjustment to the illusion, but the illusion of comfort made her feel slightly more, well, comfortable. Hoping she had selected an outfit that didn't look too out of date, she still didn't quite understand human fashion, even after all these decades. She left her room to go downstairs and wait for her appointment. She didn't wait too long. The doorbell rang as she reached the stairs. Before she made it to the bottom of the staircase, Ray had opened the door. That meant it was Kai at the door. Ray had strict orders not to answer the door unless it was someone who had been approved to see the robot. Ray was in biped mode, but even wearing clothes, he could not pass for human. He moved nothing like a human when he walked in biped mode. When he transformed into tread mode, it was much easier for him to get around, but that was not allowed in the upper rooms of the house. The tank treads left ugly marks on the hardwood floors. Behind the door was a tall man, a perfectly proportioned man with long blonde hair, hair that hid pointed ears. His lean, muscular body was hidden inside a trench coat. There were probably a half dozen small weapons also hidden behind that coat. She wondered what he was wearing. Was it the garb of the elf folk, or was it some sort of human fashion? Judging by the boots, with their leather and multiple buckles, probably the traditional Elvis clothing. He stood at the door, smiling his devilish grin. Hello, Kai, Jane said. Jane, looking as lovely as ever, he said. I am not a vampire, but I still will not enter until welcomed in. Please, Ray said. Come in. Kai tilted his head to the robot. I am sorry. I cannot be welcomed in by a machine. Has to be human. Or at least alive. No offense. None taken, Ray replied. They had had elvish visitors before. Ray knew their customs. Why had he extended the invitation instead of waiting for her to? Kai turned back to her. His eyes meeting hers and questioning silently. She motioned with her hand and tersely said, Come. So, Kai said, what is your business? The next high council is not for seven months. What cannot wait? Ray spoke before Jane could answer. Actually, the next high council is not for eight more months, and it is scheduled to be in the Hall of the Mountain, not in our home. You are correct, wind-up man, Kai said, putting on an air of amusement. We are not scheduled to have a high council meeting here until... Oh, never, correct? Accessing data, Ray said. Yes, you are correct. Back to business, Kai turned his attention to Jane. What brings me here, superhero? What could be so important that I need to put on a disguise and come here in person in broad daylight in the world of men? He chuckled. What couldn't be done on a video screen or with a homing pigeon, like the ape men? Ray put up a metallic finger. Ah, sir, the Bigfoot have not used homing pigeons since 2002. Also, they are not ape men. In fact, chimpanzee DNA is closer to human DNA than Sasquatch DNA. The hand went down, extending toward the elf, and the mechanical man's head turned thoughtfully to look past Kai. I am unsure about the similarities of elf DNA. Would you allow me to extract some to make a comparison? I believe Madame Jane has some Sasquatch DNA in her laboratory below. I believe I have a hypodermic needle attachment for my finger. 
Kai recoiled from the hand, and Jane had to force herself not to laugh once she realized why. Iron. Ray was made entirely of iron, and elves, well, don't do well with that material. Ray knew that, right? Jane gently pushed Ray's hand down. Well, it would be interesting, Jane said, wondering if she had ever seen an analysis of ADNA as she spoke. There's no time for that. Kai, I have a guest you might be interested in. His composure returned immediately. A guest. So that explains why you're wearing the disguise and hiding your beautiful true nature. I always hide my true nature, even around the house. You're also hiding your beautiful true nature, Jane retorted. She wasn't lying. Her whole head acted as sort of an eardrum, so she had no ears. Among the humans and humanoids of Earth, ears intrigued her. The bigger, the better. And the pointed, graceful ears of the elves were among the more attractive of the Earth species. Kai smoothed his coat. My disguise is hardly the same thing. So, this guest, anyone I know? Does your husband know you have company? Yes, it is someone you know, Jane answered. But before Jane could continue, she noticed what seemed to be an autonomous pile of mud making its way down the hallway from the back of the house toward the front door. As it moved, though, it left nothing behind in its path. Any dirt it may have left behind would have been dirt that had been picked up from the soil outside, and there probably was a trail of that on the outside porch and inside the appropriately named mudroom. Michael, what had brought him in? Kai had noticed him too. Ah, Kai said, look, you and I hide our true nature, while the wind-up man and the muck man both cannot even hope to do so. Truly, you and I are blessed, Jane, to be able to walk around without causing fear and screams. Jane unconsciously touched her belt buckle. The technology was a combination of magical cloak material from Olympus that Hercules had given her, and holographic imaging that she had reverse-engineered from the remains of her ship. The magic made up for the insufficiency of the technology, and the science gave her control, and she had hopes it would allow her to create solid holographic constructs in the future. How much time had she spent, though, merrily to hide who she was from the outside world? Kai knew her true nature. She had revealed her true self to the houses during the process of application to create the House of Heroes. Between her extraterrestrial origin and Hercules' background with the House of Titans, they had been allowed to create their house. Precious few humans had seen her true visage. Even Dr. Griffin did not know her true nature. He simply thought Jane was a super genius. She was, if one were to judge her by human standards. With a very strong bodyguard, not too far from the truth regarding Hercules, and a robot servant she had created. She hadn't. But Hercules, Ray, Michael, and Jane had been found out as active superpowered people in the late 1990s after that business with the Bigfoot. Now the government wanted to keep tabs on them. Fortunately for all of them, the government considered them superhumans. It helped that there were already some people in the higher levels of the government, along with Dr. Griffin, who knew of their activities and who were able to nudge things in their favor. That meant Jane and her house owed a few favors. They had worked with Superforce on a few occasions, and they had filled in on a couple missions when Superforce was not available. But the reason the four of them had banded together in the first place was to help people. And the missions Dr. Griffin brought to them fit into their greater purpose well. And membership within the houses had a similar advantage. The other houses tended not to interact with humanity, but the House of Heroes did. So the other houses came to Jane often with problems and situations asking for help. Of course, there was her other motive too. Hope the hope she still carried that she would find others like her. She had come across other extraterrestrials, but none from her world. The others from her expedition were most likely dead. Two were confirmed dead, 
She saw them after the crash. The other six, and her, had been captured. Of them, only she escaped. And when she eventually returned to that place to try to rescue them, they were gone. She still had hope that maybe, someday, she would find a survivor. She had no hope that others from her world would come, though. Earth was a nice place, but of very little interest. No other expeditions were planned when they left. By now, she was convinced that her people knew her mission had failed, but to mount a rescue would be useless. Illogical. It took them decades to get here. It would have taken decades for people to realize the failure. They still may not know yet. It would take decades to send help. The math pushed all hope away. But she had a life here. She had gotten married. She had the house. She helped people. She did not like hiding her true self from the world, but she accepted it. The world wasn't ready for her. Or Herc. Or Ray. Or Michael. Michael stopped in front of Kai. Jane doubted that Kai would understand the significance of Michael's body language, but she could tell that Michael was looking at the elf. Making an observation, perhaps? No. Was Michael staring down Kai? What is your pet doing, Kai said. Michael is not my pet, Jane answered. You know this. I will not have you speak this way of him. Kai sneered. Like he can hear. I do not have ears and I can hear, Jane said. She knew Michael could hear. She had studied him since the incident many times. She had learned much. She knew he could hear and see and feel, although she wasn't sure how exactly. And he could think and understand, but she wasn't sure how much. She did know this. When the team went into battle, he joined them. And he fought well. She wondered if he was merely protecting his teammates, his friends. But if that was all the motivation Michael had, that was more than enough. She also knew this from her studies. Whatever had changed Michael into this monstrosity, it was irreversible. Michael turned the large lump at the front of his body toward Ray, then toward her. Michael crawled out the door, which remained open behind Kai. Ma'am, Ray inquired. Jane nodded. Ray shambled after Michael, affixing a tracking device to the rolling pile of mud. Are you just going to let him wander away like that, Kai said. Jane nodded. When Michael does anything, he has a purpose. We may not understand it, but we do allow him to leave freely. Ray stomped back inside and closed the door. He knows to stay out of sight, and we are able to track him. Seems irresponsible, Kai muttered. I thought you wanted him to remain a secret. I trust my people, Jane retorted. Hercules, Ray, and Michael, I trust them all implicitly. But you, of course, understand why we don't trust your people, Hercules, Ray, and Michael. Ignoring the barb, Jane said, follow me. Jane led Kai away from the front door to a door that led to a staircase that led downstairs to the part of the house that very few people outside the House of Heroes ever had a chance to see. Jane knew that Kai had never been in the underground base. She looked at him, watching him take note as they arrived in a room with a television and a bar and some comfortable chairs. You wanted to show me Hercules's man cave. Jane couldn't help but smile. The holographic projection of the human face picked up on her facial muscle cues and translated it into a toothy movie star smile. Actually, this is my man cave. I am wind here often. I like to play video games. Herc breaks the controller, so he's not allowed to spend much time here. She stepped toward a wall with a picture of Edward Hopper's Nighthawks, turned to Kai and said, follow me, and stepped through the wall. Kai followed. The holographic projection shimmered slightly, then returned to normal. Looking back, there was no need for illusion. The room was clearly visible. They were on another staircase, and they descended. 
My father asked me to talk to you about some other business, Kai said. His father was essentially the king of the Elven Kingdom, which was not to say much these days. Their population numbered in the thousands. As the world of the humans grew and expanded, the world of the elves had shrunk. It was possible that the House of Beasts outnumbered the House of the High Folk now. I will attempt to answer anything the Honorable Cullen asks, Jane said. There are whispers and rumors of bad things on the wind. We do not understand exactly what is happening, and we wanted to see if you have received any knowledge of this from your contacts in the American government or in the United Nations. Jane shook her head. I haven't heard anything from our sources. We've only gone on one mission for Dr. Griffin in the last two months, and from what I've heard, Superforce have not seen much action other than a few extreme weather-related rescues. Jane quickly amended herself. Two missions, sorry. One was a failure. Who got in the way? The muscle, the metal, or the mud? Ray was my backup. I fought solo. I won the fight, but, well, you'll see. They came to the end of the stairs and found themselves in a brightly lit laboratory. The white decor was reminiscent of home for Jane, even if the books and computers and tables were all human. There has been a lot of chatter in our circles, Kai said, wandering aimlessly through the room. Nothing concrete, but enough for us to be concerned. Ma'am, Ray's voice came over the house comm system. A vehicle is coming up the drive. I would assume, based on the make and model of the vehicle, that it is Agent Clarkson. He has asked that we give him access to our garage and that we activate tracking countermeasures. That was odd. Clarkson had never come unannounced before. Their primary liaison to Dr. Griffin, he remained in regular contact with Jane and did come in person to give mission details, but always preceded by some form of communication. Do it. Let him in. I already have, ma'am. He is in the garage and asking for assistance. Help him with whatever he needs. I will be up soon. Ah, Kai said. Do I finally get the honor of seeing the man you speak of so much in your reports to the council? No, Jane replied icily. You're coming with me. And where are you taking me? Somewhere private, it would seem. Need I remind you, you are married. Kai's voice was beginning to give Jane a headache. Welcome to our holding cells. I don't often bring people back here, but it does happen on occasion. And? She tapped a panel on the wall and a door slid open. They walked into a short hallway with three cells, two of them with nothing in the doorway. The third had an energy field that illuminated them with blue energy. It also illuminated Brainbender, who sat in the cell on a cot wearing a simple loincloth. Kai's jaw dropped, and Jane felt a satisfaction as he tried to speak, but could not. I believe you know each other? Finally, Kai found the words. Kor! You fool! This is where you've been? A sheepish grin, and Kor said, What can I say? Nothing that will satisfy father, I assure you. Jane noticed Kai glancing over at her repeatedly. Embarrassed. The poor elf was embarrassed. She almost felt bad for him. Almost. Your brother has caused me a lot of trouble. Dr. Griffin gave me this mission personally. I had to make it look like Brainbender. That's his supervillain name. Escaped, which was not too easy. Brainbender? Another sheepish smile. It's a hobby. I spent all last night zigzagging around southern Michigan and into Illinois, and it was not fun. That was mostly the truth. She did get to finish listening to her audiobook and a couple podcasts. She liked to listen to podcasts about alien conspiracy theories. She liked to laugh at the absurdity of many of them, although once a podcast had led her to a legitimate visitor to Earth. 
He wasn't officially an alien, in the sense that he didn't come from another planet, but interdimensional visitors were just as welcome to Jane. He had hit it off with Hercules, too. She had tried to help him get home unsuccessfully, and if he couldn't get home soon, she was considering asking him to join the house. Needless to say, she regularly listened to that podcast since then. She was even thinking about buying the host's book. I am... sorry, Kai said. I lost my bounty, and I lost some credibility with Griffin. I understand. Kai clenched and unclenched his fist, no longer glancing at Jane. He stared at the ground. My father will be sure to make up for any lost income you might have incurred. As soon as Jane deactivated the door, Kai spit on the ground in front of his brother. You have dishonored the memory of our mothers. Kor put up his hands and seemed to be genuinely hurt. It was not my intention. You come to the human world and play evil villain? What are you? Because you are surely no elf. I can hear the weeping of the ghost of our oldest mother even now. They returned to the laboratory. With Agent Clarkson here, Jane said, you should leave this way. She led him to an elevator that would take him to the landing platform above the garage. It had holographic projectors that made it look like a normal roof on a normal home, but it was where they launched their flying car from. When you get up there, you can just drop down to the ground and get to your vehicle from there. Said vehicle being a PT cruiser. She wasn't sure what the elves liked about them, but it was the only vehicle they used when they had to travel incognito among the humans. What about my clothes? Kor asked, gesturing to his loincloth. Jane had not wanted to take any chances, so she ordered Ray to take Brainbender's costume. The loincloth was what Ray offered Kor when he complained about not having any clothes. Wait, that wasn't a loincloth. Hey! Jane grabbed the towel from Kor. This is one of my good hand towels. I put this out in the upstairs bathroom when we have guests. I'm a guest, Kor replied. He looked down. Uh, anything else you could give me? Jane opened the elevator door. Your brother has a coat. Put that on. Objecting, Kai said. It's going to look pretty conspicuous, the two of us jumping off your roof. One in a trench coat and one in my best hunting outfit. We're far enough from the road and from any neighbors that you'll be fine. I just don't want Agent Clarkson seeing you. The two elves stepped in the elevator. My father will remember this, he said. Thank you for not turning my brother over to your Dr. Griffin. The world's not ready for elves, Jane replied, or aliens, or Greek gods. The houses may not get along, but we do look out for each other. Yes, Kai said, and this will be remembered. The elevator doors closed. As they did, Ray came into the lab with Agent Clarkson. Jane spun around. Ray, what? Ma'am, circumstances dictated that I bring him here. The agent was a human, but not a normal human. He wore a suit and tie, which was all that could be seen. His hands and his head were transparent, invisible. Hi, Jane, the agent said, putting up one arm in a movement that Jane assumed to be a wave. Do you have a mission for us? Jane asked. It's just Ray and me, but we are more than happy to help. I apologize to Dr. Griffin about losing that brainbender guy. I don't know anything about brainbender. Did he escape again? The agent loosened his tie and unbuttoned the top button of his shirt. The voice seemed weak. Can we sit down? Maybe have something to drink? Ray, please get him a chair. As Ray did what she asked, Jane went to the kitchenette in the corner and she poured Agent Clarkson a glass of water. Now, Agent, what's going on? I don't know, but things are not good now. 
there are some weird goings on. I've heard, she said. First, Gar requests Hercules to meet for a face-to-face. Then Kai with his strange information request. Now this, what could be happening? You are the only one I can trust right now. The agent took the offered glass and quickly drank it. Jane couldn't help staring in fascination as she watched the water slide over his invisible tongue and then down his invisible throat, disappearing into his collar. I've overheard some things from people who should be trustworthy. High-ranking people. How high? Jane asked. I I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering. What do you mean? I mean, I remember overhearing a couple agents coming out of a meeting with Dr. Griffin. I don't think this goes to Dr. Griffin, but I didn't feel like I could go to him for help because the agents were level G, two levels above me. And they were talking about something, something big, like something was finally going to happen. I remember one of them saying, better to be a fly on the inside of the windshield of a moving car than a butterfly on the outside of the windshield of a moving car. I remember that. Did they say anything else? I don't know. Who was it? I don't know. What do you mean? How did you forget this? Well, they murdered me. Murdered you? They... You're saying you're dead? Yeah, sort of. I kind of don't stay dead. It's part of my condition. I'm not actually invisible, like an invisible man. I'm kind of a ghost. This was news to Jane. She was more fascinated, but also a little disturbed. But you're holding that glass. You just drank water. I told you, I'm kind of a ghost. I'm not quite dead. Not quite alive. It's complicated. But whenever I get killed, my memory goes really fuzzy. So they saw you, and they murdered you. Agent Clarkson was silent. Then he said, Oh, sorry, you couldn't see me. I was nodding. How did they kill you? He pulled open his suit coat so she could see a bullet hole in his shirt. Trust me, there is a lot of blood on this shirt. Be glad it's invisible. It's like all over the place. But look, the bullet's still in my heart. He unbuttoned his shirt, then untucked his undershirt and lifted it up. There, suspended in the middle of the curvature of his clothes, was a bullet. Also, where his stomach was, she could see a pool of water. The water he just drank. I'm still bleeding. I've lost a lot of blood. I need help. Ray, Jane ordered as she started to get her medical instruments out. Get him to a table. Where was Herc? She hadn't heard from him since yesterday. She quickly sent a text to him. Things getting heavy over here. Where are you? And tapped send. The message sent, but it did not show as delivered. Had he turned his phone off? Was he out of service? No. He'd broken his phone. She knew it. No time to worry about that now. She had a dying man who had already been murdered on a table in her lab. Okay, Agent Clarkson, let's get that bullet out of you. She had no idea how she was going to do it. But she got to work. Hey everyone, it's me, Ben, Ben Avery again, uh, just showing up at the end of the episode to kind of tell you about what's going on, and I wanted to remind you that this novel, The House of Heroes, the prologue, these chapters are coming out in the regular feed. Again, that's to introduce these characters, and so that when they show up, you're not going to be totally weirded out that there's a robot and a mud monster and a half-god and an alien. Uh, they'll, when they show up later on in, well, really it's 
I'm not going to say where they're going to show up, but they are going to show up and you're going to want to know who they are. If you want to know more about them, if you want to know where the story is going, then you are going to want to get in on the supporter feed. The supporter feed is anyone who is supporting us on Patreon and anyone who's supporting us or has supported us in the past on Kickstarter. And if there's ever a new way of supporting this podcast, then House of Heroes is going to show up there. When it does show up, it's not going to show up right now. And that's because this is the bare bones entry. And I want to define what bare bones entry means. That means that um, we will be releasing on the supporter feeds uh, the this same material only done in a more refined way uh it'll include music and a different narration um potentially i i'm still working on details with some of this uh but potentially different narrators as well so anyway that's what that means why this is bare bones and so i'm i'm excited um this is the novel i never knew i always wanted to write and what was exciting about that to me is when I freed myself up to say, wait a minute, this novel I had planned to write that would be the supersonic pod comics um, supporter extra. Uh, I don't have to write it because I can do something different. And someday, someday I'll tell about the inspiration behind who these characters are and behind why these four characters for the house of heroes. Um, but for now, we are just getting this out and and getting it out so we can also move on with uh, the rest of our regular stories. And some of these characters will be showing up very soon in some of those regular stories. I want to remind you that if you've already supported us on Kickstarter, you already will have access to stuff on the Patreon feed. But Patreon is the way that we're getting new supporters right now. And I want to thank all you supporters out there and uh, just, we really appreciate you and, and really appreciate just that you believe in supersonic pod comics. And that's why we're creating some of this extra material. Now I do want to also remind you that you can support us for as little as $1 a month. Now a dollar is the, I mean, that's like buying a, just one comic book in 1990. Yes. Uh, looking here at, comicron.com um I, I love doing this kind of thing but 1990 comic books were a dollar before that they were you know 1987 they were 75 cents but you can also support us for more if you would like uh point being what you're doing is you're supporting the creation of this stuff these stories and we are having a lot of fun creating these stories but uh hopefully you're also having a, f a lot of fun listening and so if you are please consider supporting us we really appreciate that so that is the end of this. This is the second part of four. The next part is going to follow. Well, you've already met him. It's going to follow Ray, the machine man. We'll see you next time. Godspeed. <laughs>